Hello, Oliver here. Welcome back to the Joint Venture Podcast. We're taking a break from the usual news and analysis this week to bring you a very special episode. Inspiratia's head of content, Viola Cowell, sat down with three experts in renewable energy investment to discuss upcoming challenges of the sector. Hope you enjoy. I'll let Viola introduce her guests. Thank you for joining me for uh, Inspiratia's weekly podcast, which this week will serve um, as a little bit of a warm-up um, ahead of um, our flagship event, Financing European Renewables 2023, taking place in Madrid next month on the 7th of June. The topic of this discussion is um, renewables and energy transition, challenges and opportunities in the European market. According to Inspiratia's data, uh, Spain was Europe's second busiest market for renewables in 2022 after the UK with 181 active projects. We have here today with us uh, Nicolas Lucas, Senior Investment Director at Infrastructure Debt Unit um, at Alliance GI. Welcome, Nicolas. Um, and we have Sam Goss, Head of Investments at Octopus Energy Generation. Welcome, Sam, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you, um, and, and we have uh, Caroline Clapham, Partner Corporate M&A at Evershed Sutherland's Energy and Infrastructure Division. Thank you very much um, for, for taking part, Caroline. Um, so I'd like to start uh, with a bit of, a, uh, of an overall um, question on uh, what does energy transition mean to you um, and to your organization and how does it fit in your uh, renewables um, investment strategy and what are the and, and the main opportunities at European level? Uh, Sam, would you like to start? Uh, sure. So I guess if, if the question is how do we define renewables in relation to the broader energy transition, um, it's, it's clearly a key part of it, right? It all starts with greening the grid. Uh, the 2000s was about getting the technology going uh, in renewables. Uh, the 2010s was about getting to grid parity, um, bringing the costs down. Uh, this decade is about true scale. Um, I think by 2030, we need to get to something like 10 times the installed capacity that was around uh, in, in 2020. Um, and so there is a, an absolutely key role uh, for renewables to play um, as part of the energy transition. And really during this decade, that renewables rollout uh, is going to be a defining engine of the change. Um, clearly, uh, it's not just renewables. Um, of course, we're seeing hydrogen. Uh, we're seeing a wide variety of uh, broader energy transition um, investment opportunities, uh, which we as a team are uh, also investing in. Um, but uh, renewables has a, a key role uh, to play. Uh, thank you, Sam. And and Nicolas, if, how do you fit in all of this as a debt manager? What are the opportunities um, for you when it comes to energy transition? Yes, good morning. Um, we have been invested a significant amounts in the renewable sectors, um, onshore wind and solar over the past 10 years. Our investors are very keen to support the energy transition. Uh, many of them are committed to net zero by 2050. Uh, obviously, um, renewables power generation plays a key role, uh, you know, in the transition uh, to net zero. 
Uh, we have a large exposure to the sector. We've been uh, very active in Europe and the US uh, over the past 10 years. And we continue to um, very actively look at the sector and how we can support the sector. So through uh, you know refinancing of uh, existing portfolios of assets and also supporting a build-up greenfield uh, of new capacity. Thank you very much, Nicholas. And, and Caroline, as an advisor to um, M&A deals, um, I know M&A have become a more prominent um, actors in, in renewables and, and even um, maybe players that were not traditionally looking at renewables are more you know, um, interested in that space at the moment. Um, what trends um, have you seen and what does um, renewables and energy transition mean to, to your um, M&A clients in Europe? Yeah, so we are continuing to see extremely high levels of activity in the M&A sector, particularly in certain countries. Um, and certain types of assets. Uh, there is huge uh, competitiveness for any sort of um, built and operational assets just because of how much constraint there is and ability to get any near-term grid connections, um, particularly an issue in the UK, but we're also seeing that issue in other countries, um, Netherlands, etc. cetera. Um, so seeing very high valuations for built assets and a lot of competitive auction processes um, in terms of greenfield, those are still continuing to be deployed at pace, notwithstanding the sort of um, higher interest rate environment we're in, uh, largely because people are able to equity fund those projects and we have people with deep pockets getting into the market. Um, there's players entering the market who previously didn't invest in this space who are creating uh, you know, pure energy funds when they were an infrastructure or a real assets fund. Um, and that's leading to more money, more capital, uh, and more competitiveness to acquire projects. Thank you. And and yeah, you've touched on on an interesting point. I mean, uh, obviously, we are operating in an environment of, of very high inflation levels and very high um, interest rates. Um, and I was wondering for um, a debt manager like yourselves, Nicholas, what, what are the implications of that? So there are some clear uh, implications um, with the changes in the markets we've seen over the past months. As you said, uh, rising interest rates, which means higher cost of debt. So if you look at the refinancing risk uh, for some of the projects which were financed uh, a few months ago or you know a few years ago with very uh, low cost of debt when there was a lot of liquidity in the market, uh, and very tight coverage, coverage ratios, uh, for instance, you know, debt service coverage ratios uh, below 120. Uh, there is a question mark on the uh, refinancing risk for these assets now that the cost of the funding of the debt has gone up uh, materially. Uh, like, you know, swap rates, if you just look at the base rates, are above 3% now. Uh, while they used to be close to 0% uh, only a few months ago. So clearly, some question marks around refinancing risks for some of the assets, availability of capital, uh, you know, to refinance the debt. And if you consider inflation, there is another risk which starts to materialize in the market. We see it on some of projects, is uh, the risk of uh, rising costs, uh, construction costs for some of the assets, increasing costs of the building materials, of the uh, equipment, and also, you know, cost of the uh, labor, etc. So some of the projects are, uh, you know, confronting some um, inflation in the um, budget uh, construction costs compared to the initial base case. And, and what, what countries present the highest risk profiles 
in this respect when, when looking at Europe? We see the same risk emerging across all the countries. So there's no really, uh, you know, differentiation between countries. Okay. And, and Sam, what, um, what is your take on, on high levels of, of um, inflation and, and interest rates? What does it mean for an equity uh, investor in, in renewables across Europe? Um, sure. So a few things. I'm just picking up on what what Nicholas just just mentioned. You know, this uh, where where there's challenge, there's also opportunity, and I suppose um, we're looking at, um, at at projects that do have those high levels of of debt uh, that were previously at much uh, lower cost, um, and expecting there to be um, a wave of of opportunity from uh, projects which uh, had an excessive leverage in the past. Um, we, we have a very low leverage of uh, levels of leverage across our portfolio, um, and in the current environment, that uh, certainly feels like the right place to be. I mean, to your question more broadly, inflation, higher inflation, higher interest rates. You know, this is this is what we call choppy waters, right? Mm -hmm. uh, this is uh, an environment unlike uh, one that I think most of us on this call um, have have really lived through in terms of uh, macroeconomic. Mm -hmm turbulence um it's at least in uh in, in the in the roles that we're playing today and i guess we're seeing higher discount rates uh, clearly um having to creep up uh in uh, together with um, the underlying interest rates um that's putting downward pressure on asset prices and yet asset prices uh, are going to ever higher peaks um, and if you triangulate that, it tells you that um, investors are taking increasingly heroic assumptions. Um, and so this is, this is an environment in which we believe we have to be prudent. Um, we've uh, found ourselves withdrawing from uh, several deals. We, and this, you know, it's quite typical to see, I suppose, a bit of a hangover. Um, as the market adjusts to uh, a new reality. Certainly towards the last end of last year, we were seeing quite substantial uh, capital overhang. Um, you know, transactions just going ahead that don't seem to have woken up to the, the new world. We're, we're starting to see uh, those, those clear um, and uh, more appropriate discount rates um, in our view. Well, appropriate discount rates against um, appropriate assumptions. Um, and so for us, this is really about uh, being closer than ever to to the markets, uh, finding the right opportunities with the right partners. One one final piece, of course, in this is that the you know the the inflation and interest rates um, have been in part been driven by much higher power prices, um, and that's a terrible thing for consumers. Um, from a uh, from the perspective of, of investors in these uh, in the companies, I think it's very short-termist uh, to be rubbing our hands in glee. And quite the opposite. Um, what's not good for consumers is not going to be good for investors in the long run. Um, however, what this shakeup has done has brought um, many corporates to the table for longer-term PPAs in a way which I do believe is is right for the long-term and mid-term, I should say, stability uh, and growth of, of our sector. So that is certainly one upside that's um, come out of uh, recent changes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, like you said, Sam, from, from a challenging environment can often um, emerge opportunities. And, and Caroline, you were touching on it um, as well in your previous 
answer. And I was actually wondering, you you were mentioning um, about the um, appearance of like new players uh, when it comes to M&A um, um, activity in renewables across Europe. Um, and I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more as to where um, these newcomers are, are coming from, both in terms of like type of players and, and, maybe, and maybe regions. Sure. I mean, uh, obviously, some of the large pension funds who have infrastructure funds who previously didn't really invest in renewables or storage or that kind of technology are starting to view them as a potential infrastructure asset and expand their investing strategies to bring them into portfolio. Um, so some of the large Canadian pension funds obviously have specific renewables arms, which are busy and active in this space. Um, and they're investing across all of Europe. Um, and we're also seeing some sort of large real estate type funds, people who have large logistics or um, data center, uh, real estate portfolios, commercial real estate, uh, starting to launch their own clean energy funds as well uh, and look at how to get into this market. Some people think, oh, well, that's going to drive up valuations. But I, I think ultimately they'll still work with well-advised uh, um, you know, financial advisors, etc. And ultimately, the assets will come out to the right market price. So I'm not sure that that's actually going to drive up the prices, it just increases the number of people fighting for less of the pie. <laughs> Yeah. And, and how does Spain fit um, in, in your clients, um, you know, portfolio strategy? I mean, is it a growing market? Is it something where you have seen um, renewed and increased activity in m and deals? And do you expect that to be a trend throughout the rest of the year? Yeah, so, so Spain is very active right now. I mean, on the greenfield side, um, developers and investors are working actively on those opportunities that are going to arise later this year. And we expect to see more M&A on the greenfield side sort of in 2024. Um, a lot of hybrid projects um, and people looking at socio-environmental concerns um, is sort of the key on the greenfield side. On the brownfield side, there are just fewer and fewer opportunities to buy those large brownfield assets in the sort of established technologies like solar PV and, and wind, um, the ones that benefited from the Spanish special remuneration regime, um, albeit some big deals are still ongoing due to the need of some funds to sort of rotate assets. Um, I think some of the challenges in Spain are the grid congestion and operability problems. Um, and capacity auctions are not being called at the expected pace. So, um, you know, this is also partially due to the fact that it's a general election year in Spain. Um, so some sort of macro issues there. Um, I can touch on the PPA market uh, as well, uh, but maybe uh, turn it over to Nicholas or, or Sam to see what they're seeing in Spain from an m &A perspective first. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I was uh, I was going to go to Nicholas actually with that, and in um, in terms of like the PPA market and 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 how what, what role, for instance, like merchant um, the merchant market plays, and and at, and Nicholas just generally as a, as a debt um, player, um, what uh, what opportunities and what challenges indeed do you see in in the Spanish market at the moment? So we have a large exposure to the Spanish market because we've been financing various projects over the past years. Uh, right now, in terms of opportunities, there is a lot of activity um, for sort of uh, bridge loans, uh, you know, construction loans uh, for developers um, who are uh, building out uh, additional capacity. 
and looking for relatively short term, like you know, three four years uh, construction loans um, until they flip the assets uh, with uh, their long term shareholders. So you have many uh, developers, you know, um, adding capacity and entering into uh, SPAs, typically with the Canadian pension funds or other funds, new new players in the market who are interested in buying this capacity. So these transactions fall more into the sort of uh, high yield space, uh, you know, with a like uh, equity bridge loans or construction uh, bridge loans. Um, so the current um, high power prices, merchant prices, um, make the market attractive for developers, uh, which is good. Uh, so there is a lot of uh, activity in the greenfield space. Um, the flip side of this is that um, it's becoming more and more difficult to enter into long-term uh, power purchase agreements uh, because in the current market, it does not make sense for uh, equity and even for purchasers as well, <laughs> you know, to look at long-term power purchase agreements. Um, so the, the, um, the only downside of this is that when, when, when it comes to looking at long-term, you know, financing or takeout of such assets, um, unless you are ready to take... Um, significant merchant risk, um, which is difficult, you know, to evaluate if you look at longer term investment horizons, etc. Uh, you know, it's becoming more difficult right now to put in place some uh, investment grade uh, long term financing for the assets. Um, we've done a lot of these, you know, a few years ago. Uh, right now, the market is very hot and the focus is more on the sort of short term, you know, um, bridge loans, which are more in the uh, yield space. And uh, if you look, for instance, at the um, regulated revenues of some of the uh, older portfolios of assets, which benefit from the uh, you know regulatory regime, there is a question mark, uh, you know, from the rating agencies on how the regulator is going to impact uh, regulated revenue uh, in the coming years, uh, just because of the high cost of uh, energy for consumers, etc. So there are a few question marks on this. Thank you. And, and Sam, so what does this all mean for an equity investor like Octopus uh, Energy Generation? You know, we've, we've heard about um, a lot of opportunity on the Greenfield side, possibly more in the high yield space when it comes to debt. Um, quite a lot of uh, competition and, and liquidity. What, how do you all fit in there? And, and how does Spain fit in your um, portfolio strategy? What is your footprint there? And, and you know, how, how are you looking at that market for, uh, for your investment strategy going forward? Sure. So we've been in, in Spain for, for a couple of years now. Um, we have uh, four projects in Andalusia uh, with an expected capacity of 175 megawatts, um, over which we have the option to buy once they're ready to build. Uh, we have also for some years now been invested in, in a uh, local developer um, and uh, who are developing some two and a half gigawatts um, across Spain and Portugal um, on, on onshore PV. Um, and, and expanding into other markets as well. Um, in fact, it's a senior team that we've known from their time at LightSource uh, when we were the um, early investors there. Um, so very much focused more on the greenfield um, end of the spectrum uh, thus far. Um, I, I do expect that to change uh, this year. Um, for us, we 
we, we operate funds with a mandate to cover across Europe and those, uh, those funds look for diversified exposure. Um, and we see uh, Spain as, as an important uh, part of that. So we will also be looking for um, yielding assets um, in, in Spain in the, over the coming months. Watch this space. We will certainly keep an eye, keep a very close eye on, on Octopus um, energy generation activity um, all over Europe. Um, and, and Caroline, I was thinking, um, in terms of the, the challenges and possibly like the worries that um, your, your clients have when, when looking at Spain, is there, uh, from an M&A standpoint, is, is there any, anything specific that jumps out? I think there's a general, um, potentially a fear of saturation or constraint in, in the Spanish solar market that's been driven by all the sort of demand and new capacity available. I did want to sort of touch on some of the, the PPA aspects that we're seeing in Spain, um, because we're still seeing quite a healthy demand for corporate VPPAs in the Spanish solar market. That's been driven by a desire to sort of hedge prices to a degree, but the predominant driver has been getting these guarantees of origin, GOOs. Um, to either green the demand in Spain or elsewhere in Europe. Um, and one of the things that's sort of important there is the, the RE100 rules on how you can use the GOOs generated in one EU country in respective demand in another EU country and the markets needing to be sufficiently linked. So lots of corporates are relying on, on GOOs being retired on the Spanish register rather than transferring them to the buyer's account. But there's sort of an increased awareness that greenwashing concerns might lead to a change of the RE100 rules um, or corporates that take transfers, exports of GOOs to where their demand is. Um, I think another issue in Spain is portfolio PPAs, um, where a corporate's demand is met by sort of one or more projects that are the same or related PPAs and ability to swap out projects. Um, so the corporate's not necessarily matched to the same project they thought they were at the outset. And lastly, I'd just say that we're seeing PPAs where generators are struggling to offer letters of credit or bank guarantees from sufficiently creditworthy Spanish commercial banks, um, as they can often be below A- minus investment grade, and that can be challenging for corporates. So certainly as projects are starting to get towards the revenue generation stage and PPAs are being put in place, there, there are some significant things that are particular to the Spanish market that you'd want to take into account. Um, yeah, thank you very much for, for that last point, um, Caroline. Um, I'm actually um, quite keen on asking um, about technologies more specifically. So we've started the, the session um, by defining um, the role of renewables in energy transition. Um, and you, you have touched on hydrogen and battery storage. Um, but I was quite keen to hear from all of you um, and from your different remits, um, what technologies at the moment are seen as the most vital to contribute to the energy transition um, from um, your investment strategies, Bob, or, or, or your clients, depending on, on your roles in the market? Nicolas, would you, would you like to start? Yes, um, we are convinced that Spain could be a key player in uh, green hydrogen. Uh, you know, to use the uh, renewable capacity to produce uh, green hydrogen. And uh, we are really looking forward to see some sizable projects uh, in, in Iberia uh, around uh, green hydrogen, uh, because it's a potential element in the broader, you know, energy transition buildup. And uh, we do believe that, you know, it's important to have some champions in Europe and obviously they're well positioned for that. Thank you. Um, Sam, what's, uh, what's your view? 
uh, certainly nothing to disagree with um, in that. Um, we we are um, active across uh, a wide range of, of new technologies. Um, hydrogen, uh, we've uh, we're we're in a, a JV developing um, uh, hydrogen uh, projects uh, in the UK with Res. Um, we're in uh, battery storage. Um, Octopus Energy, uh, more broadly, is uh, is very much pushing air source heat pumps um, here in the UK. The UK specifically is a market where um, getting the heating part of the equation uh, solved is is uh, particularly important from a, a net zero uh, perspective. Uh, and then, but more broadly, you know, Power to X um, is has just got such a huge role to play. And I started off mentioning the the importance of greening the grid with getting it. You know, to 100% uh, renewables, but that only takes you so far. Um, and uh, getting into these deep, hard to abate sectors um, in in industry and in uh, global transport and sh- shipping, um, uh, eventually aviation. Um, it's critical that we solve this, and these are um, very much the next the next frontier uh, on which we're actively working. Yeah, very much so. Lots, lots of activity there. Um, and and Caroline, what um, what are your clients seeing in terms of like technologies? Where are they focusing when it comes to energy transition? Um, still broadly across the main technologies. I mean, uh, I personally am extremely busy on storage across not just the UK and Ireland, but all of all of continental Europe and the Nordics now, as that's starting to be rolled out. Um, looking at Spain specifically. Um, it, it continues to be sort of the main technologies you'd expect. I agree with Nicolas that we're seeing opportunities in hydrogen. And also people are starting to talk about floating wind as a sort of niche of activity in Spain. Um, and there's also opportunities in sort of middle to small market for grid optimization technologies, O&M digitalization and EV charging in the Spanish market. I think I touched on this at the beginning, but one of the main challenges in Spain where you have hybridized technologies is that um, they're still sort of regulated for remuneration purposes as generation assets instead of enacting a special remuneration for stabilization mechanisms. So we're still sort of seeing challenges of adding storage, et cetera, to existing PV projects from a remuneration perspective. Thank you very much, Caroline. And um, I think this takes us nicely to the end of the conversation. Um, thank you very much again for joining me today uh, to discuss um, renewables and energy transition challenges and opportunities in the European market. Uh, thanks again to Nicolas Lucas at Allianz GI, uh, Sam Goss at um, Octopus Energy, and Caroline Krapam at Heversheds. And um, we look forward to seeing you all uh, in Madrid on the 7th of June for our uh, Financing European Renewables 2023 event. Um, Thanks everyone um, and have a lovely day. I'd like to thank you once again for listening to the Joint Venture Podcast. If you want to find out more about our upcoming summit in Madrid, Financing European Renewables 2023, then links for inquiries can be found in the show notes. We'll be back to our usual schedule from next week. But for now, thank you and goodbye.